Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers or maybe even sit with the Game Changers in this global pandemic shutdown economy around the world, this is where the best are running. And I'm so excited. This is Season 9 of Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP, our longest running series. I have the buzz quote. You know, I start with the buzz on the street. I found a line from Naveen White, an FP&A, that's a key, expert and executive in residence at Live future ready. Here's the quote. Creating a strong FP&A team comes down to two things, innovation and engagement. Ooh, interesting topic. So let's see what we're going to be talking about today. In today's global uncertainty, and I don't have to spell it out for our listeners around the world, new pressure is on your company's finance department's planning and analysis resources to do more than just deliver budgets. Planning analysis, finance, FP&A, there you go. They're being asked to model dire scenarios and potential opportunities on the fly, right now, this second. They're being asked to gather inputs, and they're being asked to steer the enterprise with as much certainty, and I'm putting that word in quotes, as much certainty as they possibly can, because the enterprise, the company, the organization, the business, the industry is asking them to provide guidance on the immediate impact of market forces that until perhaps a couple of weeks or months ago were unrecognized, were not even known. So the challenge is, how does FP&A remodel their entire function? How do they lead changes across all departments in the company? And how, perhaps most importantly, do they leverage new technology, what we used to call disruptive technology? Well, there's a different kind of disruption in town. How do they leverage technology to lead the business to success? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. I hope all of our listeners around the world are well and safe and being smart. I have three experts on the show today. They've all been on Game Changes with me before, and we're so happy to have them back. I'm just going to give you their names and companies, and then I will ask each of my esteemed panelists to introduce themselves. So in a moment, we'll be hearing from Nilly Esades at the Hackett Group. Thrilled to have her back. We'll be hearing from Ingmar Christians, and we had quite a conversation about how I should pronounce his last name, and he said Christians was fine, E-Y, and Pras Chatterjee at SAP. And of course, a shout out to two of the people responsible for sponsoring the show, Chris Grundy and Birgit Starmans at SAP. So our topic today is With Certainty Amidst Uncertainty. Oh my. So, Nilia Sadies, welcome back. Hope you're well. Nilly, why don't you remind us who you are, what you do, what your passion is for this topic. Nilly, go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie. Happy to be back. Um, so, I'm Nilia Sadies, as Bonnie said, and she pronounces my name correctly and perfectly, which I am so <laughs> uh, grateful for, because <laughs> some people don't. I'm the Senior Director for Finance, EPM, and FinOps. Um, at the Hackett Group's advisory, finance advisory practice. I build the agenda for the practice. Uh, I create survey, analyze, and narrate data, um, and create thought leadership content. I also uh, join radio shows and lead webcasts and speak at conferences. Um, and specifically, and I've been doing that for about 25 years, specifically my passion for this topic, I just, EPM is probably... Among all my finance topics, my favorite one, because it has so much to do with strategic thinking, with thinking often outside the box, with the partnering with the business. So it's not finance in isolation, it's finance in partnership with the business um, and learning how to really add value to the organization. So that's, that's one of the things that's always drawn me to this topic uh, again and again. Thank you, Nilly. And, and I have a question for you. My quote, my opening quote from Naveen White was creating a strong FP&A team comes down to two things, innovation and engagement. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And it's, um, I was delighted to hear the word innovation because I'll get back <laughs> to that when we, we start talking because I think that's a big part of it. One of the things that I've heard that's related to that um, in the last week, I had a conversation with one of our advisors and um, and she was telling me um, that this is the time where FP&A really finds out 
whether it has a seat at the table. If they're not mm-hmm. engaged in the crisis response by running scenario analysis and all the things that FPNA uh, should be doing, if they're not called in into that high-level conversation, they never had a seat in the table. So we do see a lot of FPNA teams being called in into that operations crisis management room uh, as well they should be. Um, and I think that speaks to that engagement and innovation uh, factors that, that you were just mentioning in your quote. Thank you very much, Nelly. I'm glad you liked the quote. I, I had to look around quite a bit to find something provocative. You know, that's how I like to start the show. So thank you. We're so happy you're back. And Nelly, you had to train me for years in how to pronounce your last name. You kept telling me, Mercedes rhymes with Mercedes, and it's locked in a little part of my brain every time I speak with you to think of the car. And it works. So I'm glad you appreciate that you trained me well. Thank you, Nelly. Let's thank move you. on around the yep. table, the virtual table to Ingmar Christians, and I'm going to spell his last name because we had quite a conversation about how I should pronounce it. It's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-E-N-S. And I said Christians or Christians, and he said either one was close enough. So Ingmar, welcome, and how do you pronounce your last name? And please introduce yourself. Yeah, hi, Bonnie, and, and thank you for having me, and uh, good good day to everyone listening in. Um, you, you were indeed very close. Uh, it's uh, Ingmar Christian, and uh, I'm, I'm Belgian-born and raised, so maybe it's in the accent. Um, so as for the introduction, um, I'm partner at uh, EY, formerly known as, as Ernst & Young, and uh, somebody made me responsible to lead globally our what we call agile finance team, which is basically uh, the teams that help clients in uh, transforming their finance function, enabled by technology, of course, into becoming a real business partners. Um, it's 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 all mouthful, of course, but I've been extremely fortunate over the last so many years. Um, to be in touch with, with our distinguished clients all over the world, um, mainly CFOs, FP&A teams, in discussing how they can actually transform in these disruptive times. Thank you, Ingmar. And I love your new title, Global Agile Finance Lead at EY. And the word agile comes to mind, of course. I just asked Nilly if she agreed with the opening quote I found about strong FP&A comes down to innovation and engagement. Should we add agility to that as well, Ingmar? Um, I was actually thinking of indeed agility, but even more important is is the change management piece. Um, people forget that transforming and change uh, disruption that we see in the market uh, at the source of innovation on top of it, people really forget that it's still a people's business. It's still individuals behind it that need to embrace that change and that need to that need to actually do the work and that need to do that innovation, need to make sure that that's getting implemented into the companies that they work. Hence why I would like to see a, a change and change management definitely included as well. Thank you very much, Ingmar. Pleasure to have you on and thank you for tolerating my pronunciation. And now let's go to our third panelist. I think I have this one right. Pras Chatterjee at SAP. So happy to have you back. You're a, a mainstay on this series, Pras. We're delighted. Pras, in case, I love to say, in case there's one person in our listening audience around the world who doesn't know who you are, which seems rather impossible, Pras. But just in case, why don't you reintroduce yourself to the listeners and tell us what your passion for the topic is. Go ahead, Pras. Hi, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me back. Appreciate it as always. Uh, so I am the Senior Director of Product Marketing at SAP, focusing on our planning and analysis solutions. So this really means that helping CFOs and planning departments and uh, planners of all types, you know, beyond finance, everybody involved in planning, learn how to budget, forecast, and really uh, provide guidance together in a collaborative manner. Uh, my passion for this topic is actually that before I was part of SAP, I was actually in the space for about 10 years uh, working with various multinationals across the world as a uh, financial planning analysis professional, uh, right into the weeds, building the budgets, building the forecasts. And as I always like to say it, uh, my passion is that I was always part of the problem as I see it. Uh, whenever people would come to me for guidance, my answer was all, all automatically, well, I'll get back to you. And now I see that there's so much potential with technology and tools out there for finance to be so much better than where I was, uh, giving much better answers than I'll get back to you because there's no more I'll get back to you. I, I think for finance departments now, 
uh, they can, uh, you know, my passion is the fact that they'll be able to provide forward-thinking guidance. And really, as Millie mentioned, not just have a seat at the table, but lead the table potentially. So that's mm-hmm. really where my passion comes from. Thank you, Pras. So we're looking for words to describe where FP&A needs to be. We have innovation and engagement. We have agility. We have the ability to lead change management and or to embrace it. Would you like to add a descriptive word to that opener, Pras? What's your thought? You know what? I'm going to go back to that word you mentioned before, agile. It's really been uh, today about mm-hmm. being agile. I think uh, there's no harm in stressing that one more time. I think agile needs to be part of the conversation. Thank you very much. I'm glad we had a good good agreement there. I like that expansion. Thank you all. Now it's time for us to go to the quote part of the show. Each of my panelists has put great thought. I could just hear those brain wheels turning and turning on what kind of a quote should they send me. They've all been on Game Changers Radio before, and we love a quote from a movie, a book, a song, a famous person, not so famous, something provocative that on the surface has absolutely nothing to do with the topic, and I'm going to ask each of them to explain why they pick the quote. So Nilly has picked a Chinese proverb. It's fairly well known, and I don't have anything to say about the source other than it's a Chinese proverb. So the quote she selected is, when the wind of change blows, some build walls and others build windmills. Nilly, sounds like a great quote for our topic today. What do you think? Thanks. I know it's, it's perhaps it's closer to the topic this year, and it's not a popular song for sure. <laughs> um, but there, I like that quote because it has, to me, several layers of meaning that are very applicable to today's situation, not just at the company level, but also at the societal level. Um, to me, it speaks to this, and this is this word again, innovation. It speaks to this notion of constraint-driven innovation. So when confronted with a big change, a radical change, instead of... Um, be afraid of it or building a wall, you got to think about, you got to think outside those walls, outside the box and build the new machine as quickly as possible so you're agile. Um, a different business model for finance in this case, not just to adjust to what's happening, but eventually actually benefit from what change is, is happening outside your organization or your society. Also speaks to me to the importance um, of not renouncing globalization, we hear a lot about potential retrenchment to isolationism. Um, some of it may happen. I just hope that our experience that we've had, and maybe the only or one of the silver linings, if we can find one for this uh, terrible mm-hmm. catastrophe, devastation, is that we have really learned more about being connected, being compassionate, being more collaborative. Um, and these qualities are going to help us um, achieve things for uh, both as companies and as societies that perhaps we weren't able to achieve before and certainly spark that you know, innovative thinking. So that's kind of why, why I chose the quote. Thank you. I love the quote, Nilly. Thank you so much. Words of wisdom for any time in history, I believe. Thank you so much. Ingmar has picked a quote from Albert Einstein. This is one we haven't heard in quite a while. Let me just preface it. If anybody doesn't know who Einstein was, 1879-1955, German-born theoretical physicist who developed the theory of relativity, best known to the public for his M E equals, mass energy equivalence equals MC squared, dubbed the world's most famous equation, he received the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics for his services to theoretical physicists, physics, and especially for his discovery of the law of the photoelectric effect, also known for his wild and crazy white hair. And a picture of him at the blackboard, drawing and writing E equals MC squared. Here And here is the quote, Ingmar, I researched that you knew I would, and apparently it was made by Einstein during an interview that was published in a magazine I remember from my early years, the Saturday Evening Post, the quote goes back to 1929. Uh, let me read the quote, and then, Ingmar, with your permission, I'm going to read the background on the quote, and then, then we'll ask you to explain it. So the quote is, imagination is more important than knowledge. That's the quote. Here is the full basis for the quote. He said, I believe in intuitions and inspirations. I sometimes feel that I am right. I do not know that I am. 
when two expeditions of scientists financed by the Royal Academy went forth to test my theory of relativity, I was convinced that their conclusions would tally with my hypothesis. I was not surprised when the eclipse of May 29, 1919 confirmed my intuitions. I would have been surprised if I had been wrong. That was the preface. And then he added, I am enough of the artist to draw freely upon my imagination. Here we go. Imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. Ingmar, thank you for indulging me. I thought it was interesting to hear the context. So what does this imagination is more important than knowledge have to do with our topic today? Ingmar? Well, first of all, I'm completely flabbergasted about all the background checks that you do. So um, that's, <laughs> that's enlightening. Um, I just like him because of his hairdo. Uh, as a whole guy, I envy his, uh, I envy his gray hair. <laughs> Um, but next to that, I think that he, he, he hits it spot on. Um, if I look at finance teams and, and the CFO, uh, the team around the CFO, they are so uh, en- entrenched in it needs to be correct. It needs to be precise. It needs to match two digits after the comma, etc. And if we look back over the last so many years, um, let's say five, ten years, um, we see that the world is changing so rapidly um, that you cannot always be 100% correct. Um, We know about the 80-20 principle. You need to have 80% of the facts, but 20% is allowing you to think outside of the box, to step outside of the the normal paths that that are paved for you. And I think that's definitely also the truth in in FP&A. Um, if you look at how people are doing it uh, for their companies, it is still so entrenched in uh, we, we have a process, we have procedures, mm-hmm. we did it for so many months and so many years in a specific way. And now all of a sudden they need to change. There are so many data lakes available if we want to talk technology. Um, yep. and, and then people ask themselves the question, yeah, but how on earth can I be right in there? And that is when it comes into place when I'm saying, well, use your imagination, step outside of the box, allow yourself to be innovative and, and uh, infuse that into your day-to-day FT&A jobs. And that is more, much more important than the knowledge, the, the formal procedure procedures and the process. Thank you very much. I, I love the quote. And Ingmar, you know, I'm going to ask you, should we add imagination to our description of a successful FP&A team? We've already talked about innovation, engagement, agility, change management. Should we add imagination and knowledge? What do you think? I think um, imagination is very much linked to the innovation part. Um, if you mm-hmm. if you have got enough uh, imagination, then that automatically means that you innovate, and it also means that you will fail from time to time, even more failing than than being right. Thank you very much. That's those are those lessons in life. I, wa- I want to say something to to our panelists. It just occurred to me as I was listening to to you uh, being interesting about why you picked an Einstein quoting more. I'm so honored that my panelists feel safe bringing some humor to a very serious topic. I'm I'm very very flattered, and I'm glad that you understand that we're having a conversation, and I think that's something that our listeners around the world will appreciate. So thank you for the giggles about loving his hairdo, Ingmar. I thought that was priceless. And Pras is waiting patiently. Pras, I once said the third panelist was waiting patiently for me to get to him. And when it was his turn, I said to him, Bob, let's hear about your quote. And he said, how do you know I'm patient? <laughs> just, just cracked me up. So Pras is being very polite, shall we say. Pras has picked an interesting quote from Muhammad Ali, born Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. in 1942 to 2016, an American professional boxer, activist, philanthropist. He was nicknamed the greatest, widely regarded as one of the most significant and celebrated sports figures of the entire 20th century and one of the greatest boxers of all times. Uh, His poetry was very interesting, too. Here's the quote. I'm going to read the quote, and then I have one more comment, Pras, before I bring you on. The quote is, a man who views the world the same at 50 as he did at 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. And what I want to add, Pras, is this quote is used as the subtitle of a 2018 book by Marnie Matlew, 
Martlew, M-A-R-T-L-E-W. The book is Lessons After the Bell, A Man Who Views the World the Same as 50. At 50 as he did at 20, he's wasted 30 years of his life. I didn't know if you knew it was part of a book title. So, Pras, love the quote. What does it have to do with our topic today? FP&A, trying to add certainty to times of uncertainty. Go ahead, Pras. Thanks, Bonnie. And, um, yeah, it has a lot to do with, I guess, evolution. Um, at the end of the day, um, really what this quote inspires is the fact that who we are now, if we are who we are today and we're, and we're still the same tomorrow, effectively, uh, there's a lot of time that's gone by and uh, we've really uh, effectively not evolved as individuals. And especially at this point in time, I mean, I think for SPNA individuals, there's a lot of in- reckoning in terms of uh, looking towards evolution and what they can be. Um, it's not business as usual anymore. Things are changing on the fly immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unprecedented challenges across the world, across the globe, and, you know, within the four walls as well, or in more likely in a virtual manner. And for SPNA individuals and organizations, effectively, they can't expect to be who they are today and look to be that same person tomorrow or um, really be today, right now, what they were yesterday. I mean, it's got to be a constant uh, sense and change of evolution and ev- evolution for the better, trying new things, trying better things to provide better analysis, better um, uh, uh, documentation, better, I mean, overall supply to the people that you service. Um, and that includes the business constituents and such that you work with. So for me, it really is a matter of uh, uh, being in a constant state of evolution, whether for the good or bad, but not just being in a static environment. Thank you very much. Not just being in a static environment, that's a perfect segue. I'm not going to take a break. Um, This is my message to the three of my panelists and to my audience. The momentum is too good here. So, Nilly, I'm going to dive right into our roundtable discussion statements. You've each sent me four. We'll pick a couple from each of you, see how much time we have. But, Nilly, your first statement is interesting based on this wonderful segue Pras just happened to give us. The statement is finance executives have been dealing with a certain level of uncertainty for some time, but this time it's different. And here's the key to what Nilly is telling us. A crisis unraveling so quickly and of such immense proportions was not on anyone's worst case scenario. Nilly, please tell us what this all means without getting into the details of COVID. We know about the pandemic, but let's keep it focused on finance. What in the heck are they going to do? That's our topic today. Yes, absolutely. So I think... Our research has shown that going into this year, the majority of finance organizations had some kind of adjustment to their budget or have developed a contingency plan for a recession. So they're not necessarily starting from scratch, from a, from a very rosy picture of the future. But while they have, and as I was kind of saying in my statement, really, I didn't hear, and I don't know about you, but I haven't heard of a company that had this kind of scenario built into its budget and contingency plan or even developed mm-hmm. a playbook for operationalizing it. So traditionally, FP&A used to run best, um, base, best, and worst-case scenarios, and now we see more and more in certain sectors. Obviously, not every company is affected the same way or in the same country or even within its own business units, but we see organizations starting to develop or already developed a minimum viability scenario. So what would happen, what needs to happen or what might happen that would potentially just put them out of business? And it's that the worst case scenario is, is minimum viability. Um, the worst, so it, it's becoming much more extreme in the planning process. Um, and they're also building a playbook that enables them to make quick decisions. So, for example, given a scenario, what kind of workforce reduction will need to happen, what capacity adjustment needs to happen, um, or maybe in the case of some companies, increased capacity. Um, for all these items we've been trying to get and have a, have had a hard time finding in stores. Um, and I think one of the reasons this is also different flavor than perhaps 2008 um, nine, 2001, 1987, as far as our memories, and some of us have more memories than others can go, um, <laughs> is that this time it's a really um, hard hit, kind of a double whammy of demand and supply shocks. We're used to demand shocks, but this is also a supply shock. So using what you did in 2.8 is a start, but it's only a start. 
Thank you, Nilly. Very interesting. Let's go around the table and see what your co-panelists have to say, Ingmar Christians at EY. Thoughts, agree or disagree with Nilly? Go ahead, Ingmar. Yeah, I tend to um, fully, fully agree. Um, we, we've uh, done similar research and I've been, I've been talking to our clients for many years now, telling them that if they look at finance in, in such a, a theoretical and, and old fashioned way, um, they, they will not cut it. And, and yes, you said correctly, let's not focus too much on COVID. I, I fully agree what we see happening now. Uh, COVID is just a catalyst. Um, we, we've seen mm-hmm. that all of these CFOs and all of the finance teams around the world, um, they, they saw their world and their new normal, as we call it. They saw that changing so rapidly, uh, ranging from we need to close the books uh, at the end of the month and, and we need to do a bit of planning and reforecasting every so many weeks and so many months into well, now we need to come up with new reports. We need to come up with new analysis, what-if analysis also for M&A activities and so on and so forth. That all led to a new normal. And while there were companies that were embracing it, a lot of companies were still stuck in, in that old style. We need to close the books. We need to do planning, budgeting, forecasting. And that's it. And then the whole, the whole circus starts all over again. Well, this COVID pandemic that we have now is just a catalyst that, that will spark and will fuel uh, that, that change that people will need to do. And I think also the technology side plays a vital role because I already hinted on the the vast amounts of data that are around in data lakes and external data that people want to use to make their forecasts better, etc. If you don't have the technology and a good roadmap uh, that supports uh, uh, that technology to be implemented in, in due time, then you will also not have the tools to come up with uh, automated reports, automated plannings, etc. And then the companies that are still thinking about, should we now go zero-based budgeting or should we go cost plus, etc.? And they want to spend uh, am- heaps amounts of time and money and effort on these kinds of, of theoretical discussions. Well, again, they are going to be out. Um, they will lose the momentum and they will lose a lot of competitive advantage because finance was, is, and will even going forward, will continue a lot more to be in the center of everything. So completely agree with, uh, with Nilly's statements on that one. Thank you very much, Ingmar. Good points. Let's see what Pras has to say. Pras, please join us. Thoughts? Thanks, Bonnie. Um, so, I mean, I view it in a sim- through a similar lens, but I'm also wondering at the same time, are we starting to make excuses for people? I mean, ultimately, um, everything Ingemar um, has stated is correct. Everything Nilly has stated is correct about the fact that, you know, finance departments need to evolve, that it's all about being agile right now, that the best-in-class organizations are the ones that are providing much more guidance and things like that. But really, for me, it's a matter of, I mean, yes, what's happened right now is unprecedented and COVID has created a new normal. But for years, people have been... Uh, talking to experts in this area, my two colleagues included on this panel, about the fact that SP&A departments need to change. They need to move away from Excel. I mean, last year we did this survey through a uh, F, uh, SP&A trends, and we found that 48% of finance departments still rely on Microsoft Excel as their main budgeting and forecasting tool. Can you imagine that right now? The, you know, if you look at the S&P mm-hmm. 500, the Dow components or whatnot, that half of those companies might be relying on spreadsheets to provide yeah. guidance in these times, that makes zero sense. So I think that uh, they really need to find a way to evolve and evolve better and quicker and no more excuses. No more excuses. Well, that's kind of drawing the line in the sand there, Pras. No more excuses. Wow. Are there really companies still using spreadsheets, Pras? Is that your observation or your experience? Seriously? Not just observation. That's fact. I mean, we surveyed... Um, I mean, I think over four or 500 organizations last year, and 48% of them said they still rely on spreadsheets for their main budgeting and forecasting exercise, which is, I mean, can you imagine in this day and age how insane that is? Uh, I mean, you know, one day borders are closed, the next day there's terrorists, your workers are being furloughed, there's, uh, you know, you have to think about your working capital, you have to think about new, I mean, opportunities that are lost, new opportunities that might exist, and you're managing all that through Excel, 
I can't even imagine how <laughs> awful a situation that must be. You, you you certainly described it interestingly enough. It sounds like uh, a, a lot of caffeine would be involved with or without the spreadsheet. Thank you very much. Nilly. anything you'd like to add to your co-panelists on their comments on your statement? Any thoughts you want to add before I move on? Sure, I do. I'm, you know, I wasn't as aggressive as Pratt in my, in my notes, but I, I'm totally with you, Pratt. I think that we, and we talk, some clients and some research we've done, we are just flabbergasted by the degree of lack of sophistication uh, in terms of use of technology, in terms of analytics acumen within uh, the talent and the staff. Um, people sticking still, even today, to doing variance analysis. They do forecast to budget, actual to budget. I mean, that budget is out the door anyway. What's the point? Like, use that time to have a conversation about what's ahead. Use that time um, to do more analysis. And we see repeatedly in our research that those organizations, FP&A organizations, that have set up data standards across, that have automated, that have implemented uh, a dedicated planning system, cloud-based, are so much more able to free up that time, to speed up the modeling. So I think it shows you just how much the crisis and this crisis or any other crisis, as you said, it's catalyst, um, exposes the haves and have-nots those who have moved forward, those who have stayed behind. So I agree, there's like uh, just about 50% still using spreadsheets. Mm. I have like managing this in a spreadsheet, to me, it's like it's not just a nightmare. I'm not sure how, like, how would you even do it? So, yeah, I think it is definitely a, a call to action. Thank you very much. Speaking of call to action, Ingmar, I'm moving on to one of your statements. I think we've covered a couple of these. I'm moving to statement number four. You sent me before the show, Ingmar Christians at EY. Ingmar says, now more than ever, and this was one of your themes when we opened, it is time to focus on change management. And Ingmar says, this goes way beyond the old style update mails once a month. Doing it right can mean buy-in enthusiasm and accuracy and here's the hard line statement Ingmar says doing it wrong means failure Ingmar let's emphasize what's the role of change management and how bad would the failure be yep and it goes back also to Press's um, uh, statement on uh, no excuse anymore stop stop the excuses um, uh, if, if you look at the average age of uh, uh, people within finance with all due respect for age and for for maturity and knowledge that they've built up the average age is still incredibly high uh, and I, I think we need to I'm, I'm, I don't even think so I'm convinced we need to also look at the younger generation, uh, at, at the millennials, uh, about how they look at um, uh, transportation, how they look at work ethics, how they look at their dividing their time and so on and so forth. Um, I think that there's there's a hell of a lot that we can learn out of it, and that comes back to the to the imagination part. Um, there's there's a hell of a lot to be learned out of that one, and I think that's the center of the of the change. Um, the center of the change should be around embracing new ideas and embracing also the youngsters and the younger generation for their ideas. Uh, if I may make a sidestep, um, SAP CEO is 39 years old. 39 mm-hmm. years old. That is three years younger than I am, and I still consider myself as very young. And this guy even surrounds himself with youngsters because he, he considers himself to be old and he would hate to be rusted down in, in, in patterns uh, and in, in being stuck in, in procedures. So I think that that is the definition of change. We need to look at which are the people that can make finance shine again in the future. And we need to embrace the fact that those people that will make finance shine, those are the youngsters. And um, that, that whole mind shift will come as well with the fact that they will do innovation and they will have initiatives that will fail. And failing is fine. Fail fast, mm-hmm. get up and get your act together and just do it again. No excuses. I like that one. 
Do it again. Wash, rinse, and repeat. There we go. Pross, why don't you chime in here? We're on the change management focus. Our topic today is FP&A. How is it doing with finding certainty or believing in certainty in our times of uncertainty? In case you're just tuning in. Pross, what are your thoughts about the, the position Ingmar is taking on change management? Well, absolutely. I mean, there is definitely a need for change management at this time because um, I mean, it's the complacency that certain individuals in finance and SP&A that they've exhibited over the last many years through their business-as-usual approach that's effectively caused the problems. I mean, you know, going back to my, um, you know, what I said before about spreadsheets or budgets or even Nillyman made the comment about the fact that budgets are effectively obsolete as soon as you hit January 1, but you still do this crazy exercise of your actuals to variance comparison to see where you are with regards to your budget, and there's such a huge emphasis placed on that, that finance has created this culture of importance with relation to that. And, um, you know, that's effectively caused a lot of challenges for them because the data that they provide is obsolete, and they've really got to change things about, you know, but really moving things forward. I mean, create a reliance on not just on their budgets that they presented, but on the data that they present in terms of forecasts looking ahead and work together to drive those. Um, for the change management piece, maybe it's a matter of getting away from these spreadsheets and getting away from everybody and their business partners relying on them to reflect on own, uh, old information, but a lot, um, having the business partners that they work and support relying on them to provide future guidance. And maybe it's changing the mindset, you know, not just change management, but changing the mindset internally in terms of how they approach and how they're looked at it upon internally as a true business partner. Thank you very much. True business partner, that's a key to our conversation. Nilly, please chime in. Thoughts? Yes, I think, of course, I agree um, with all the previous comments. I think one of the things we need to think about from a change management perspective is not just what needs to change. So, yeah, we need to change how we approach the budget. Maybe we don't do the traditional variance analysis. We need to change that um, exactness in the thinking of a lot of finance people, to Ingmar point, you know, it's got to be like 0.02 or whatever the number is, got to be really precise. Now we need to be more directionally correct than precise. But I think to make that happen, you need to see some role modeling at the top um, to incentivize the right kind of behaviors. Because if you keep rewarding um, small variances, going into historical data, that kind of behavior is feel valued and rewarded, you're not going to see anybody changing what they're doing. So I'm thinking more in terms of, for example, at the senior leadership level, during the management review process, uh, once a month typically, but could be much more frequent now, make sure you spend 80% of the time on the looking forward, what's happening, what's going to happen, what might happen, instead of saying, how did we do? Did we meet budget? Are we 30% under? You got to go through that exercise, but you should really push your team to look forward and reward and show them what's really important to you by allocating that additional time. So I think we need to see leaders take the lead, right? And actually, uh, through their own behavior, show the rest of the team what they value. So they should, for example, another example would be we talked about ambiguity and how hard it is um, to come up with something correct or precise going forward. Um, they should reward, and I think it was Ingmar's point um, that you got to fail. They should not be penalizing people for coming up with the wrong answer. Given insufficient mm-hmm. information, they'll come up with the best possible answer. So I think there's a lot of leadership that needs to come in in order to push the staff into the right mindset and make a change in that mindset. Thank you very much. Ingmar, very provocative around the table there. What would you like to add? Yeah, usually um, I would find something that I would disagree with, but um, nowadays <laughs> I'm, I'm tending to agree with uh, both Nelly as well as with Press. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of, of the things that are also voiced by yeah. our customers. Um, so it is around the change management. It is around the technology. It is around uh, the data part. And the ones that, that are mastering that one, um, I do believe that those are the ones that, that will come out stronger, uh, regardless of the fact that we have a crisis now or not. Um, maybe mm-hmm. still a couple of um, a couple of uh, uh, ballparks or a couple of guidance, uh, if, if I may. Um, I, I see also a lot of people uh, nowadays uh, hesitant towards those younger generations and towards uh, the failure and towards technology, towards data. Um, I still haven't cracked the, the cookie uh, extremely well, but I always tell these people. Well, from time to time, you also want to drive in a new car. And although the old car uh, was working for so many years so well and the seats are, are, they are molded to your figure at some point in time, and I still remain a guy, huh? so I'm a car guy, at some point in time, you just want to have that new car. And that's so, so natural that you do that every so many uh, years. But still, in finance, it is apparently unnatural if you come to the office and you say one of these days, well, you know what, we've been doing that cost plus uh, forecast now for so many years. It doesn't work. Our business doesn't work like that. And our business tells us that they don't have the time to do it all over again. Let's do some some uh, artificial intelligence infusions in those uh, budgets. Why not? Let's do a proof of concept with it. Let's buy a piece of software that helps us with it. Mm-hmm. And again, to Nelly's point as well, I know a hell of a lot of companies uh, today in which uh, if a youngster would get into the office with these kind of statements on a Monday morning, he or she would probably be asked, so uh, what did you actually smoke over the weekend? Because <laughs> you're hired to do a job, and the job is fill out the Excel sheet and get on. And again, no excuses anymore. I, I like it more and more. <laughs> Very interesting. You keep saying youngster. <laughs> is, is there an age? Are we talking physical age? Are we talking emotional intelligence aging, Mark? Come on. People around the world that are listening to us are probably, audience are probably saying, wait a minute, I've been in FP and I've been in finance for years and I think young and I'm aware of all of these new technologies and I have that spirit of innovation and engagement when I go to work. So are you putting an actual age limit of brackets around this, Ingmar? Come on, let's be a little more provocative. Pras, I'll get to your statement in a second, but Ingmar, I'm going to put you on the on the table here for this one. What do you think? I'm going to put you, put you in the spotlight. What do you think? Yes, I think uh, 40 <laughs> years old is, is, in this case, it's old. Um, if I'm seeing, and, and I'm just looking at myself and my team, uh, with all due respect for the gray hair and the ones that even lost the gray hair, um, no, no, no pun intended, um, I, I just see that in my own team. Uh, I'm, I'm working with people of, of 25, 30 years old, wow. and the, the, the complete different way of working, of work ethics, mm. of looking at how they do things um, about uh, going about with failure and so on. It, it's, it's completely, completely different uh, than I am looking at it myself. And for the record, I'm still considering myself to be extremely young. But if you look downhill, uh, the, the really young people uh, below 40 years old, Again, I still think that that is the future and, and we, can, we can learn a hell of a lot from them in the way we do things. Interesting. I have to go to Nilly. Pras, just bear with me here. Nilly, what do you think? Comments, please. Be bold. <laughs> or, or say pass. <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot, well, but the I first, just did. The first thing that came to my mind when <laughs> I was talking, first of all, I'm older than you and also, I have a whole bunch of gray hair, but I've had that since I was 30. Um, and I don't color it because I'm kind of comfortable with the way I am. Um, I think there's a very good point you make in bringing in this new point of view, this new way of working that the younger generation can bring in. Um, I do think that even kind of as the saying goes, you know, all dogs can learn new tricks. Um, I consider myself young as well, and I'm constantly looking to think about things in a different way. So I think there's a lot of um, kind of a character or temperament 
aspect to it. But in general, yeah, we need to infuse some new thinking into the finance operating model and how finance works and what it thinks about in order to move forward. So just wanted to point out that although I have gray hair, I'm still innovative. There, I, I knew you would come up with that, and all I can tell you is I have red hair, and the salon has been closed for seven weeks, and I still have red hair, and, and I'm as innovative on radio as they get. I'm allowed to say that. Pras, join this. I'm going to get to your statement in a second, but Pras, weigh in on this, please. Age, innovation, mindset, thinking, ability to handle change management. We're going to get to technology in a second. Pras, what's your POV on this, please? Look, I, I think that personally everybody has the potential to be young at heart. It really just comes down to a mindset. Obviously, I mean, as Ingemar mentioned, that if you're below a certain bracket, it might be easier because uh, you're less evolved in who you are. But ultimately, I think it's about uh, people coming out of their comfort zones, especially in the uh, STNA space. It's about moving away from these scheduled plans, about business as usual and such, and really taking a risk. Uh, I agree. I mean, uh, Ing- uh, you know, Ingemar mentioned if people come in with... Um, at a, an evolutionary new idea on Monday morning about, hey, doing things a little bit different that provides that much more value uh, because of the conservative mindset. I mean, you know, they will, they might ask you, hey, where, where were you this weekend? Where were you drinking or smoking yesterday? So that is a big challenge. But ultimately, I think it's about really evolving and changing the mindset. And I also think part of this is maybe due to the education. I mean, I'm, I'm a trained accountant myself, and I always wonder, is that part of the problem? Because the way I was... I was structured in terms of how to read things, look at things, behave in a certain way. So maybe it's a matter of uh, current gen. I mean, this you know, uh, ne- next generation accounts looking at their curriculum and teaching them to be less rigid and more flexible in terms of what's happening. Um, as Millie mentioned, it's not about what happened yesterday. It's really about giving guidance in terms of what's about to happen tomorrow and using modern technology and analytics to present that train of thought. Thank you very much. And, and uh, that goes to your statement. We have just a couple seconds for this before we, Nilly and, and Ingmar, are going to get their predictions ready. Uh, Price, let me just read statement number four to honor you. You say, to deal with the current landscape of uncertainty, finance needs to leverage an arsenal of tools, including collaborative enterprise planning. I know we've talked about that on the show a while ago. Powerful analytics to influence decisions and machine learning insights to stay ahead of uncertainty and uncover opportunity. Prost, do you want to make your prediction about these, please? And then I'll go around the table and finish with the other two. What do you think? Sure. Uh, so I'll be really quick. I mean, collaborative enterprise planning obviously means breaking down the different silos of planners across the organization. We know everybody plans. Uh, marketing plans based on campaigns, sales plans based on the targets. There's demand planners, you know, looking at capacity. It's so bringing these plans in and finance being a leader to do this. Uh, in terms of analytics, this is something I'm very passionate about. Um, as a finance individual and finance individual I talk to, they love Excel, and we know Excel is not the right answer. If I were to ask a finance professional right now, tell me about your own personal finances, they're not going to go to their banking app, download a CSV file, put some colors on it, manipulate it through pivot tables, and then do an analysis. I mean, they'd be horrified at that thought. Rather, they expect their banking app and banking provider to provide analytics in terms of their spending patterns, what they're about to spend, where they were, um, any anomalies and things like that. So why should they you know, sacrifice when it comes to their planning information um, or finance information? Why sacrifice with regards to data by looking at through an Excel lens when there's modern analytics that not just lets you get better insights, but let you communicate that information better because let's be honest, I mean, just because finance loves Excel, nobody they talk to loves Excel. Mm, thank you very much. Let's move around the table. Nilly, I can give you 90 seconds for your prediction. Thank you, Pras. Go ahead, Nilly. So, yeah, I'm thinking um, a lot of a lot of what we've seen has to do and has exposed, as I said, the haves and have-nots, the digital haves, the digital have-nots, companies that have been um, organizations in finance that have been more at the forefront of moving forward with technology compared to those that have been hesitant. Um, and I think Igmar was talking about that. I think going forward, um, this crisis has basically um, sort of proof of concept and a business case for anyone who's had a hard time getting digital transformation going through management. 
it's going to, and it's already maintaining and accelerating some digital momentum. It's just going to be, you know, we see clients continuing with ERP implementations, all these strategic in-flight projects, and actually accelerating some of the more targeted projects that are based on cost savings or intended for cost efficiency, like some RPA implementations. Going forward, I see this finance function of the future emerging quite differently with much more agility, uh, the ability to flex up and down based on a robust technology infrastructure, the ability to support quick decisions with an analytics capability in IQ that they don't have right now, a sophisticated approach to scenarios, um, predictive plan, predictive analytics to help management because the, the uncertainty and disruption we're living with right now may change, but disruption is with us for a very long period of time. So adjusting to this crisis is one thing. you got to really future-proof yourself for the next one and the next one. Um, and for that, you need to be helped by a robust, you need to be less people-dependent, and you need to be able to support mm-hmm. decisions more quickly. Thank you, Nilly. Ingmar Christians, you get the last word on predictions. You've got a whole 90 seconds. Enjoy. Thank you, Bonnie. So um, I always say one man's uh, death is another man's breath. Um, I do believe that over the next uh, few months and years, we will see a huge wave of consolidations um, that will happen on the market in and outside of the uh, sectors that companies are operating now. And the ones that will be uh, coming out of this as the the, the major uh, uh, gainers and, and major winners will be the ones that have been successful in, first of all, shifting the mindset of the people internally. Secondly, adopting technology so that they can do what-if scenario plannings and that they can plan for those uh, uh, future uncertainties. And uh, thirdly, the ones that are looking ahead and dare to make bold uh, statements and also bold moves on the market. Thank you very much. I cannot express enough how much I've enjoyed speaking with the three of you. Not only are you smart and savvy and insightful, but you're also bold. We had some very bold statements today. Bold and edgy and charming and engaging, and you all have a great sense of humor. And I'm very honored that you've taken the time to share all of that with me and our listeners. Again, a shout-out to Chris Grundy and Birgit Starmans at SAP for sponsoring this ninth season. This is our longest-running Game Changer series. And a special shout-out to Aaron Keller and the Business Channel team at Voice America. Aaron is, by the way, Ingmar Aaron is very young, but he has the wisdom of the ages. He's my, uh, shall we say, he's my very brave and bold engineer who puts up with all kinds of stuff on these live shows, and I appreciate him. So here's my call to action to everyone. First of all, be safe, be smart, be well, please. We don't know where this is going, but we hope it's coming to a close, this awful pandemic. So here's my real call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Nilly Asades at the Hackett Group, just like Ingmar Christians at EY, and just like Pras Chatterjee at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Be well. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.